Hi everyone, this is The Swarm, a podcast brought to you by Cicada. I'm your host, Seamus McGuire. And I'm your host, James Catalano. Seamus, I'm really excited. This is our first episode. I'm really pumped. This is our first season, and we got some crazy stuff ahead of us, right? We do, man. We've had actually a lot of really great feedback, even just from our first introductory episode. And we've got a lot of good feedback from our Instagram posts. Uh, And we've been teasing our first guest today, actually, for a while now, and uh, we're happy to introduce her. We are. um, I'd like to present our first guest of the season, Mary Grace Virgis. She is a licensed architect and influential player in the development arena in New Orleans, working for MCC Real Estate, owned by real estate developer Joe Yeager. Mary Grace, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for putting me on the spot with the first episode of the season. First episode. Really appreciate that. That's great. We're pumped. <laughs> Super excited to have you. So Mary yep. Grace, you are a licensed architect. Mm-hmm. Um, you got your bachelor's of architecture from LSU. Yep. Uh, master's from Harvard Graduate School of Design. Yep. You became licensed in 2015. You have worked for the national firm Eskew uh, Dumez Ripple, spearheading their hospitality and large-scale environmental projects in New Orleans. And then as of recently, in 2016, you made the switch from Eskew to MCC Real Estate as their in-house development architect, mm-hmm. focusing on all phases of pre-development, development, construction, marketing, and operations. It's a lot. Yep, makes me sound real good. That's like an, it. That's I an impressive it. lineup. <laughs> yep, I know. That is that is a lot going on. I'm just on. I'm on, I'm behind the mic, and I'm just an architect, and you got. <laughs> well, I'm not. I, I'm not any of those. Well, I'm things. pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I could write you a pretty good bio, just as good as that one, if you let me. <laughs> it's all about how you word it. I like it. <laughs> yep. Um. So we we brought you on because we we felt like you were a great candidate. Because you were once an architect, or you actually are a practicing architect. Yeah, However, dude, you're don't now... Don't take that away from me. Uh, Come on. <laughs> but you were on the development side now. Yes. And that's a fascinating situation. And so why the switch? Why, why did you go from practicing at a prestigious firm and, and jump to now equally as, as prestigious development firm? Yeah. Starting from the beginning, long story short, I mean, like you said, I went to LSU for architecture, and then sort of at the end of that... I felt like, you know, I wasn't quite ready. I just needed a little bit more, you know, that schooling. Um, you know, the torture wasn't enough for five years, so just keep going. And so I applied to grad schools and, you know, was really fortunate enough to get in at Harvard, and it was an urbanism um, degree, actually. So it was, did architecture for five years, and then I did landscape urbanism for a year and a half. Um, way too cold up there, so came back, um, worked for Eskew Dumas Ripple for about five years, and... You know, like you said, award-winning, amazing yep. firm. Got the chance to work for Alan Eskew for about, you know, two and a half, three years before he passed away. And so that mm. was a really influential time in my life because right. I got to, at a very very early stage in my career, meet all of the very influential players in the city because he was, you know, out there. He was the rainmaker of the firm. He was the one that was putting teams together and creating projects and creating work at a very large scale. So like things like the Crescent Park, he did a lot of things with the tricentennial that's happening this year. Um, That's amazing. Even, even three, four years ago, those things were already, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was already happening. And so, you know, we were in meetings with the mayor, with all the other developers in the Mm -hmm. city, with, you know, all the players, all the tourism bureau people, everybody. And so he taught me a whole lot about, um, bringing people together around a table and making a project happen. 
And then we also did a lot of just large-scale urban planning projects, which were all sort of fantasy land in a way, but, but not really, because you, know, you got to think on this giant scale and it was just a really, it was a fun, uh, we used to call it like just playing with Legos. Cause you know, we would look at like a map of the city and just start moving buildings That's or like every, creating buildings. Every or, architect's you know, dream is yeah, to play with exactly. Legos. <laughs> and so, you know, that was a really great time. And then I also worked on a lot of hospitality projects and a lot of the, and competitions actually. So like the World Trade Center competition, the Ace Hotel was one of our big projects. Um, Ace is an amazing building, by the way. Yeah, yeah, go y'all see did a great, it. Yep, yep. No, no y'all did, I mean, y'all did a great job detailing. Yeah, it's done really um, well. It's lived a really good life so far. The shops below the Ace are mm-hmm. just crushing it. Yep. And um, through all of that, um, you know, I was able to get a little bit of insight into the developer world because we did a lot of projects with developers. I mean, a lot of developer-driven work. So, you know, as we sort of went through that and I went through the licensing process and, you know, did got a great background from in architecture from EDR because, you know, they're, they're some of the best in the city. I mean, sure. they were, they always challenged me to be better and it was just a great experience. Um, we definitely look up to them. Yeah. As architects. Yeah. I mean, they, 100%. they set the standard very high. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even on a national level. So, you know, towards the end of my time there, I, you know, I was really thinking more about like, I love the architecture process, but like what else is there? You know, like right. I was really intrigued by, working with people like Daryl Berger and Joe Yeager and um, Roger Ogden on some of the projects that we did and seeing their process of, you know, finding a site, finding a building, not really knowing what to do with it, creating the project, designing the project, building the project, operating it, and then it's your project forever. So it's the whole spectrum. And as an architect, you don't get all of that. But you were sitting around the, the table with all of these key players. But even as an architect, you have no idea no. what goes into the development side um, and has to go right from yes. the from the bank loan to yeah. an yeah, investor. Getting the funding. Right. Well, and as an architect in a, in a traditional firm setting, I mean, you basically, it's your baby, right? I mean, while you're working on this project, you dedicate your entire life to it. It's your baby for this long time. And then you kind of give it away, you know, like you right. give it up. You, right. you hope that it does well. You wish it good luck. And then you don't, you're not a part of it anymore. And so when in the developer world, it's like, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, it's your project forever. Right. And that's, that was something that was really intriguing. And so through that process of meeting them, I mean, the developers, I sort of started talking to them because some of them had in-house architects. And I was just really curious about what that meant and what that mm-hmm. role was and sure. how, you know, what their day-to-day was like. And so I set up a couple meetings and I just started getting really curious. And about, you know, maybe six months, eight months later, I, you know, ended up moving over to MCC and it's it's been an adventure for sure. Well, <laughs> so. it's interesting. You Your schooling was in architecture and then you mm-hmm. kind of went to this greater scale of like, urban design and you kind of did that with your career path you went from architecture to like this greater scale uh, that's a great point well I was always interested in it and mm-hmm. I just didn't know how to marry the two like I knew that I wanted to get my license so I knew that I had to go work in a firm and I got a chance to work obviously in a very good firm and get that background and then the question for me was always how do I put those two interests together like how do I be an architect but also get to work on this bigger scale and like learn the whole side like that whole side of the business right and so development kind of just, it worked, you know. Are there any other major differences from going from practicing in a traditional architectural firm to shifting to the opposite end 
on the development side? Yeah, we don't have enough time here to talk about all okay. of the differences, but I will certainly, I mean, the, the highlights are, um, you know, working in a firm. I think one of the things that I really miss about that setting is being surrounded by people with your same interests and skill sets in a way that they're constantly teaching you things about it. Right. You know, like, you know, I was surrounded by people who always challenged me to be better mm -hmm. and learn more about, you know, the different computer programs or what was out in the world. I mean, what was happening and always having lunch and learns and like all of that, I really do miss a lot. So now I have to sort of do that a little bit more on my own. Like I have to go out and sort of seek that out. Right. Um, but what I get in exchange is the ability to sit around a table with people with all different skill sets. So, you know, I bring the architecture to the table, but, you know, my office is sandwiched between a general contractor and an engineer and mm -hmm. subcontractors and operations specialists and pro procurement managers and, you know, developers and pre-development managers. So it's like, as I'm designing stuff or as I'm drawing something, I have that feedback right away. Right, it's amazing. And that's something that's really invaluable. And then, you know, when we have a meeting, you know, every person around the table has a totally different skill set to bring and value added to the meeting. So it's just not something that you, you can't really predict what they're gonna say. I feel like in that setting, things get done really quickly. Well, it sounds like really intimidating. It's like, like, <laughs> really scenario. It's like yeah, so, it's like, it's like I draw something and then immediately I am told all the reasons why is it is too expensive, it right. can't be built, but Shut that's something down. that before it ever goes out the door, I get that feedback. So, yeah, you know, great. I'm able to sort of print something on the printer and, you know, give a copy to every person and then immediately get... Look, there's a beauty of not knowing immediately yeah. because it's like you get to <laughs> dream for a while and you're like, man, yeah. this, this design's amazing. Right, we, like we, I'll have to close my door <laughs> to dream for a while. What, what's... Could you walk us through, like, what's the process? Like, for us uh, in an architecture firm, you know, a client reaches out to us, they need a problem solved, they need something designed, you know, there's a lot of back and forth, we design it, we go to a contractor, there's a lot of back and forth, they build it, we see it under construction, that's it. Look, what is that process for a developer or working for a developer? So it's very, it's, it's different depending on the project. So I think... Like for instance, today. Today we went to see a building that somebody wants to sell. And you know, the way that happened was they came to us, they're ready to sort of move on and they wanna sell this building. They think it's really great potential for a boutique hotel. <clears throat> so they called up Joe and they said, okay, will you come take a look at this building? We did a couple like, you know, schematic design drawings for you just to tell you how it might lay out. And so, you know, a few of us, it was me, uh, our financial analyst, and then a couple of contractor um, guys that work for us. And we went over there, we toured the building, we, you know, decided, oh, let's see, is it feasible or not? You know, we'll write up a little report, we'll send it to Joe. And that's the kind of thing that's, that's sort of like the very beginning right. of something. Mm -hmm. Is like you get the idea or someone walks in the door or... You know, maybe you just see a building walking down the street and you just say, okay, make, what could it be? Yeah. Like, can we make it work? I want to make that a speakeasy. It's really cool. Uh, yes. <laughs> that is on the boards. <laughs> so, um, but that's, that's something that's really interesting for me is because it's that idea phase of just saying, we have this building. We don't know what to do with it. What do we need in the city? What would be really cool? That's when we, you know, See, engage people like you guys, like do really cool renderings, do some marketing you guys. packets. You she know? was us. She's talking five about five minutes ago. <laughs> now she's 
Y'all. <laughs> She's talking about Cicada, an architecture Cicada. firm located here in New Orleans. So um, I do want to bring up, because I actually learned this in our in our pre-interview, that MCC Real Estate is, is basically an un- umbrella um, that owns a New Orleans hotel collection. Is that, mm-hmm. is that right? Yep. So there's the development side of things, but then we also have the New Orleans hotel collection and the French Quarter hotel collection, okay. which is our operation side of things and that they own, you know, or they operate, you know, 17 or 18 boutique hotels. Yeah, I'm getting written down here right now. Whitney, yep. Well, Whitney Hotel, actually, yep. I don't think falls under the, under the hotel collection. It may or may not. I think, I, I think it's you one guys of them, have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, hotel Le Marais. La Marais. Yep. La Marais. The Mazarin, mm-hmm. the Bourbon Orleans Hotel, and the Dauphine Orleans, just to name a few. Yep. Um, also, you know, the Maison Dupuis is a big one that we just acquired. Um, Marriott Convention Center, the Omni Royal Orleans is in wow. our portfolio. Um, That's a yeah, lineup. it's a lot of, lot of it is awesome. Obviously, the Jung Hotel. And the Jung Hotel, Ooh. exactly. Um, <laughs> glad you got us there. You know, um, when again, when we're thinking of lineup, the Jung Hotel, it was, it's kind of hot off the press and is a very iconic building. And truthfully, it was, it was one of your first pro- ever projects to, to really kind of get on board on. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, you, were, you came on late, right? The project had already started mm-hmm. going and, and, and you got thrown into it. I mean, it's kind of yes, crazy. Thrown I, in. The, yes. footage, <laughs> the footage on the building is unreal. It's, it's over half a million square feet. Half a million square feet. Million square and feet when you include the parking garage, yeah. Right. And you got Mary Grace coming out of SQ, and they're like, all right, feet to the fire. <laughs> I got feet to the fire. Hey, bro, here's some bathroom details. <laughs> yeah, so, like, so, I mean, those ADA rooms, huh? <laughs> For those who might not know, where where is the Jung Hotel, and That's great how did it get its name? Like, where did it come from? It's located at 1500 Canal Street, and it is a... Hotel that was originally um, originally came online in 1907, December 19th, 1907. Like it. Um, it was a historic hotel. Joe bought it and brought it back to life. So it's, it's actually Mardi Gras beads that says this hotel died. Yep. Ain't but dare it, no more. Ain't was da- the theme of the parade. Ain't dare no more. <laughs> yes. Wait, was it abandoned? This well. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a Radisson. It was something else for a little while, but yeah, I mean, the Jung Hotel stopped operation. Uh, I'm not sure what year, but and it's so been this float picked up ain't dead no more. <laughs> and, ain't dead no more. And so I'm getting a Snapchat, and it's like this beat is so incorrect. Like yep. the Jung back. is back, man. Nice. I actually so. have it on my pinup board in my office because <laughs> it's just hilarious. Well, next year's beard beads will say the Jung is back. Back in baby. I yeah. like it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the Jung, the Jung is, is very interesting because clearly it's not just a hotel. No, so it was originally a ho- just a hotel and then, you know, big event space, like all the great stuff that goes along with the hotel. But we brought it back as um, 207 hotel rooms and then 113 luxury apartments. So it's 19 stories. It's got three rooftop experiences, two pools, one which was the historic pool, um, tw- you know, 12,000 square foot, column-free event space. It's got tons of meeting rooms, a historic bar that was brought back to life, um, a lot of historic elements that we brought back. And so, yeah, I mean, it was it was a really intense first project to be <laughs> thrown into when I got there. If you haven't seen this building, the interior is literally, like, all marble. Yes. It's, it's amazing. Yep. Yeah. It, it White looks Carrera like, marble, yeah. yeah like, some bougie stuff. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Like 20,000 square feet, I think, of... Oh, legit marble, yeah. yeah. Marble. And rooftop space is like the new hot thing here in New Orleans. And we have a ton of it. 
Yes. We do. Yeah. There's actually the up on the 19th floor. There's a special pool deck for the apartments, and then there's the sixth floor, you know, giant pool deck for the hotel, and then there's a VIP area. So. Oh. How do you get? Yes. How do you get up on that VIP? Are you well, on that I'll list? Maybe I'll get you in. Get we'll it. see. We'll see about it. <laughs> I think I think that might have to be a private tour. Mm-hmm. You know, behind the scenes with Cicada in the swarm. Yeah. Mary Grace, James, and Seamus. Yeah. We're hitting up the VIP. We could. We could show our viewers what that looks like. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It would be a review of a three-night stay oh, at the Jones yes. Hotel yes, in the yes, VIP absolutely. space. <laughs> I'm totally in for that. <laughs> Love it. I mean, like you asked the question, what was it like? I mean, I got there in, let's see, December, or no, November of 2016, and then yeah, we're I talk, sort We're of talking about all the good stuff. Let's talk about the scary <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, you, you want to know about yeah. it. So you dropped in. I dropped in, and then, you know, I... It was actually a really funny story because I was sitting in my office. Joe, I don't think, was very sure what to do with me yet. Right. Um, you know, I was kind of sitting there. I didn't have a computer. I was just kind of staring at the wall. And he's like, you know what, Mary's come in this Jung meeting. You know, we have these every Tuesday and Thursday. You're not going to work on the project. But just come in and, and learn about it. And I was it. like, is oh, it, this sounds great. Like the Jung, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Ain't Dan no more. Yeah, and so I sit in the Jung meeting, and then here I am a year and a half later, and it has been my life. So it's um, I got thrown in, you know, early 2017, and it was definitely towards the the later stage of the project. They started in 2015, I believe, construction, and so you know a lot of it was built out, but all the public spaces were not. And so I came in and sort of really helped with the um, sort of the details, I guess, of getting the public spaces done. Right kind of moved into a sort of project manager role, but I wasn't the only one. Like, we had a few of us that were working in that role. And then, I guess, late summer, we uh, sort of lived there. We, yeah, so we I was going to say, there. You, you, kind of, there? you kind of moved in. Yes, moved we in. moved our offices to the Jung. Oh. And as, you know, as owner's reps, we were, it was probably That's most of our team. That is dedication. You know, every morning I'd get my coffee and I'd go to the Jung. And then I'd leave, you know, maybe eight or nine o'clock on a good day. And, it's crazy. you know, we really So we you got haven't it done. really escaped that architecture lifestyle where you really no. get sucked into a project. Oh, yes. Yes, and but that's what makes her so valuable. She has the architecture background where they're going to run you in the dirt <laughs> all night. Not that I could say you probably have never done an all nighter, but um, actually, yeah, no, uh, no. no <laughs> actually, that's, that is something I'm very proud of. You know, <laughs> I would say something about that, but she's the one that went to Harvard, and that's hey, I got not. it done, right? I still sleep. <laughs> but no, you're right. They received the person who has the architectural background and the work ethic. But also the know-how clearly now to yeah. to manage fifty things. Yeah, and one of the things that the way that the junk sort of ended up going, especially late summer and early fall, was we were like I moved my computer out there, so I was doing drawings on site in this way that like I I would do the drawing, we'd print it on site, I'd hand it to the contractor, and then it would get built that day. So like that's something Ooh, that was like you immediately see the consequences of what you drew, right? With good or bad, right? Like I would draw it and then I would either get yelled at like by the contractor in a joking way, of course, or like <laughs> they'd be like, "Oh, this was great, thanks," you know. And it was this feeling of like, "Oh, I don't know, like we're gonna see what happens." But you know, they'd come to me with a problem well, as they were <laughs> building it, right? They'd be like, "Here's an unforeseen condition. Here's something we don't have an answer to." We need an answer right now. And the beauty is, again, so you're making the transition. Back in the day, you'd have to say, okay, let me go back to the office. Yeah. 
let me let me write up a you know an ASI or a WCPR, official, yeah. an official document. <laughs> you go through a bunch of red tape. Your boss may say yay or nay, but now you're on the other side, and someone literally comes to you in the field, and you're like, do it this way, and then yep. boom, it gets done. And that- one of the reasons was because we were just moving so fast. Right. So you know, Joe sort of had to trust us in this way of we were going to make the decision that was best for the project. Um, and then we would obviously, we'd go to him for big things that we needed answers for, but a lot of the stuff in the field, we would just make decisions and, and run with it because we had to. I mean, we were up against a pretty tight deadline. So. Well, it feels like speed is the thing that's, it's, we're in a constant acceleration from well, when I have this idea to when can I make it happen. And then even while you're building something, it's like, okay, I want this to happen. I want to change it. It's, the pace has changed, I feel like, for architecture and construction. Well, I agree with you. It certainly has. Um, this particular situation is a little bit different because they're made feasible solely because of historic tax credits, correct? Yes, yes. So uh, this particular one was on fire because they had a deadline to reach Jan 1 mm-hmm. to get the project done um, and to ensure their their historic tax credits. Yeah, did you hit the deadline? Credits. We did. We did. Congrats. We opened, we opened the end of December. We had a little internal grand opening party and <laughs> stay there awesome. on new year's yeah. so what happens now you've been you've had you know you've had the trial by fire so yes. what happens after well um you know since we moved out of the jung uh <laughs> i've been doing a lot of you know we have a ton of projects on the books that we're working on getting funding for or getting ideas for and so doing a lot of um, funding packages, a lot of marketing, which is actually something interesting. I wasn't expecting to do a lot of marketing for a developer, but when you think about it, it's it's not the same marketing as an architecture firm where you're trying to win clients or work, but it's marketing in terms of like getting people interested to get funding. Got it. And so the marketing that we do is very different, and it focuses a lot on like telling the story of a project. Here's why we were interested in the building. Here's why we bought it. And like, do you want to partner with us? So we're talking... Do you want to you know, be a part of it. We're talking so. pages of history and mm-hmm. pretty pretty pictures and, yeah. hey, we need your support. Yeah, this I mean, is getting a, people excited. Idea. Yeah, right? for sure. I mean, it's about... And it's not, just, it's not just the investors, it's the public, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the public's a huge point of this and and really that's that's kind of why we're doing this podcast is to to educate the public on, on these situations. I mean, mm-hmm. Joe, from what I know about him, he is all about making the community happy, you know? Yes, he he is a little bit different from, and I've only worked for Joe as a developer, so right. this is just sort of my, my sense of how development usually works, but, you know, typically when you get a, you buy a building, you have some sort of plan, like you have like a, a fully developed plan, you may, you've probably invested a lot of money in the beginning to like make sure that the pro forma works and that you have a set of drawings and all of these things. And we do that sometimes, but sometimes it's just about the story. And sometimes, you know, obviously we'll make sure the pro forma works before we buy it, but you know, sometimes it's, this building means a lot to this city. Like this building 100%. has a lot of potential. It's, it's part of the fabric of the city and it needs to be brought back to life because, you know, Joe cares so much and we all do about the city and he's so deeply embedded in it. You know, he's, it's, this is where he's lived his whole life and career and he knows the ins and outs of it so well. And I think that's why a lot of our projects are these very large, like, I don't know if iconic is the right word, but eye-catching buildings in the city that you recognize because, you know, he finds a way to sort of say, 
I don't really, you know, he's not so sure about trusting other people with it. He, he knows that he'll do the right thing and bring it back the way it should be. And so that's why he wants to have it and make sure that, you know, it's the right thing for people that live here, for the city, for the future of the right. city, and, and all of us. Like, we want to have fun. Yeah, like, I think that he really cares about just having fun with the projects. 100%. It's not, look, you can get people to move to the city, but once you're living here... Mm-hmm. Then what? You know, you gotta. There's got to be something to right. do. New Orleans is such a city of passion, and we definitely latch on to these things. It's food, it's music, it's these iconic places. And it sounds like y'all have your hand on a lot of these iconic monuments or mm-hmm. places. Not monuments, as in like statues or anything, but like <laughs> physical. Like, is this like you recognize, like, like in the skyline, yeah. like skyline. you're like, I know that building. Can you yeah, tease us? Any, anything yeah. y'all are, well, what, well, what, yeah. what's something else? Like the Jung Hotel is massive. It's huge. It's on Canal Street. What else is, what's down the pipeline? Yeah, I mean, to touch on one of the things you said, I mean, he, he's, and I probably shouldn't say he, we all do. We, we really pay attention to what the city needs. And I think because we have, so many of the hotels in the city in our portfolio, we have a sense of the tourism industry mm-hmm. a lot more so and like what's really happening. And one of the big things is attractions. I mean, we don't like right. we definitely get people here for Bourbon Street and, you know, adult entertainment and things which like is, that. Which is good. Like it's a party town, right? Like every, when you hear New Orleans and you don't really know it, it's like, oh, I'm gonna go there, I'm gonna have a great time and party, but I'm not bringing my kids, right? So <laughs> one of the big things that we're into right now is like we need to find a way to do a lot more family friendly attractions. Like make this a city where you're not coming just to Bourbon Street, you're coming to the whole city and there's like all these different things to do. And which retains got, people, you know? And we've got, you know, World War II Museum, which is amazing. Mardi Gras World, which is one of our projects, which is doing really well. Um, Audubon Institute does really well. But we're working on, you know, the power plant, for instance. Power know, plant. Look, very I, iconic. We, Everybody if, if wants you, to know. Yep. If you know anything <laughs> besides Jung, it's the power plant. But ser- I mean, plant. look, you're driving, you're driving under the twin span and... I mean, that's kind of like the gates into yeah. the city is the power plant. You don't even know what it is, but you're just like, dude, yeah. that's awesome. It's I noticed two, it for the yeah. first time from Metairie today. Oh, I was what? driving from Metairie on the overpass by Carrollton, and I was like, I never realized you could see it you this these far away. You know? giant smokestacks that are like kind of, you know, they're rusted, they're degrading a little bit. And, oh, I don't know if y'all have been to Buku Festival, but it's mm-hmm. basically just like a backdrop, backdrop. to it. And right. it's like, what is that building? I want to go inside of that thing and explore it, which I feel like a lot of people have done, but... Yeah, yes. I mean, uh, that is, please do it, not it do would, that, you guys. It, it is would, very nice, not structurally sound. Like, not structurally sound, and you may, come across, you may come across someone not in there safe. that's also not safe. But not I think safe. it's just, it's a captivating uh, thing on the skyline, and you just, you want to engage into it. So it's good to hear that someone who has their hand in it hopefully is going to do something with the structure. Yeah, so does that particular building have a plan as of yet, or, or is that just kind of be waiting Yeah, I mean, we we don't have a concrete plan right now, but, you know, it's been a very interesting project because we've had a lot of interesting pitches for it over the years. Like, that's some, that's one of the ones where people will come in and say, I have an idea for the power plant, right? And so it's, it's ranged from, like, big box stores to condos to a roller coaster of sorts. (laughs) It kind of sounds a little... Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, like, Ooh, that's a good what's idea. his name again? Faruka? What is his what? name? He jumps into the tube and he gets sucked. Through. I don't, I don't know, but <laughs> I would, I would th- 
<laughs> I'm thinking like escape the room, but like you're trying to escape the like old escape derelict the, power plant. Escape the power plant sounds frightening. But your mind immediately goes to attraction, right? Like to some sort of entertainment venue, right? Because yeah. it's such an iconic building <laughs> and it's something that like you want to go there and experience the whole thing. Like if you do condos or you do a big box store, it kind of takes away from like right. the character but, of it. Right. And so I went in there for the first time and explored the entire thing, climbed all the way up to the top. It was the oh, best day. They wouldn't let me climb the smokestacks, though. They were I'm, like, oh, I'm I mean, not coming to get you. But um, got to put your OSHA harnesses on. Next time, next time. Mm. But um, it's gorgeous in there. Yeah. I mean, it's got this, the graffiti is art. I mean, people people definitely use that space, and they shouldn't be. But, like, you can tell that it's been used, in, you know, for parties and different things in there. And tons of photographers are always in there. Yeah, if you yeah. Google it, you get these beautiful photos so if anyone's out there photographing, <laughs> photographing this building, we want copies, please. Like, yeah. it's gorgeous. Um, so that, but that particular building, it, it doesn't it have a direct connection to the Mississippi River <clears throat> underground? Is it that does. correct? Okay. Yes, it yeah. does. Um, That's pretty neat. So yeah. you can get in through the river, <laughs> you're telling me. Please don't try it. Don't, don't go in the Mississippi River. I am not responsible. But you can. <laughs> well, that was, clearly they used the water at some point in time mm-hmm. for energy. Yeah, so it used to know? be the Entergy power plant. So right. we actually got the original drawings recently from Entergy of the awesome. building, and they're nice. incredible. I'll share them with y'all. But, Love it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we know that... We know that we want to do something great with it. It has a lot of potential, especially if the convention center district happens. And because, you know, if you haven't heard about that project, that involves like a giant hotel and like sort of neighborhood at that that end of the convention center because um, what they want to do is just is create this other bookend. You know, you've got the French Quarter on exactly. one side and then we need something on the other side. And so there's a lot of talks and different plans for that um and so if that were to happen the power plant becomes like the anchor to that neighborhood and so we've sort of been trying to see what's going to happen there but also entertaining as many ideas as we can and so you know right now we're sort of just having a little fun with it Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what it could be and we've done a a structural analysis and Um, how was that we haven't gotten the results back, right. but I will tell you, please do not yeah, go we gotta, in it. Look, we got to keep, <laughs> keep the stacks. Keep the stacks. Keep the stacks. Hashtag. Maybe it's a big slide. Hashtag yeah. keep the stacks. Keep the stacks. We start a movement. Bring back the yeah. We're starting a movement. Wolf. Thousands will march. That's great. <laughs> I, I hope it stays and I hope it becomes something like really amazing. We really want it to. I mean, it's that's an important building. Yeah. You know, we want to save it, especially like the facade of it is beautiful. I mean, it's something that you drive by every day and you can't help but look at it. So yeah. if that neighborhood comes in and we can do something special there, we certainly will. So so that's the power plant. Mm-hmm. You guys have a slew of other of mm-hmm. other goodies that we can we can touch quick on. Um, yeah, I mean, there's Times the, Picayune building, right? Yep. Times Picayune is one of ours. The Plaza Tower. Uh, we've got a lease with the city for the naval facility on Poland. Um, we've got a couple projects in Mississippi. Cool. Um, the Eagle Saloon, historic Eagle Saloon, over on Rampart, is a, a big great one. project. Ooh, for all for all you music lovers out there, and also just New Orleans uh, historians, um, Louis Armstrong used to do his gigs back there. I mean, that was. His, the first, basically, jazz originated at the Eagle Saloon? Yeah, I mean, when you look it up and you do a little research, it's it's known as one of, it's the birthplace Art, of right. jazz in yeah. the city is yeah. what, it's, it's you know, it's bragging rights, but 
I think that that's a project that people have tried to bring back a few times and we just required it recently and are sort of in the early stages of what can we do with it, but that should be a really great one. That's amazing. That would be fantastic to just see be pumped back into the city. And it's telling the story of jazz too. Mm, I mean, right, it's talking right. about, it's, it's sort of got the potential to be a museum and storytelling venue and then also an event venue, which is really interesting. How does it feel to be part of this like re rehabilitation of the city? Like you're reviving the yeah. core and like life of, of New Orleans and the surrounding areas. Like you are an <laughs> integral part of that. Yeah, I'm gonna add to that because we're we're part of like specific projects, you know, but now you are you have so many projects at your at your fingertips, which is really exciting. You're shaping the city and the future. It's yep. wild. I'm going to be honest. Like It's times like these when I step back and sort of feel that. Yeah, because yeah. in the day-to-day, it feels very overwhelming because you just have so many projects that you're trying to get started. I mean, because all of these projects are great projects with lots of potential, but it's like we have this... We have this team that's doing our best to sort of push them and get them going, but it just takes so many steps. And so, you know, if we were able to pull this off and, and make all of these projects happen, then yes, like that is an incredible feeling and I really hope that we do it. Um, but, you know, it's about prioritizing and just taking it one step at, the, at a time. And, you know, it's also a lot of pressure because you want to do it in a way that, you know, it, it makes money, but it also matters. The ultimate point there, though, is that you really need to know your context. Mm-hmm. And you guys are have a strong foothold in New Orleans, and the context is, you know, um, the atmosphere and the... Um, the character of the city. The, the, the culture of the You're city, right? The like, of the city. And, 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 and look, the character... Of, of other locations may need that strip mall and stuff like that. But, yeah. but the beauty is where you're most at. Most of that's in other cities. Like when I'm, right. when I say right. that, I mean like right. other cities and other, you know, right. large national developers who are doing lots of projects. I mean, here it's just a very it's different unique. market. It's unique. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, I kind of want to, to button this thing up with you're a year out now from being in an architecture firm and now you're in the development side. Like what, is there a lesson learned? It's it's a question of coming from the architecture side, you know, what advice do you have for architects working for developers? Is that, Correct. Is that fair? It's a better question so, than what Seamus asked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let, me re- let me translate <laughs> Mary the Grace Seamus take, She's taken over the podcast. <laughs> By the way, we've known each other for how many years now? <laughs> We're not supposed to divulge. Ah, yeah, sorry about that. Seamus and Mary Grace go, go back. They, uh, <laughs> go they're back good friends. So, but I think, so that's a great question because obviously now working with architects, I try to tell them this as much as I can is, you know, if I were the architect working for Joe or working for a developer like Joe, I mean, it's, you have to remember that the client does have expertise, right? Like we have done work, we have done, we have a lot of things to bring to the table and understand that you know, just listen. I would listen. I would listen really well to That's the great. operation side of things, the function of things. It's not, you know, as much as a beautiful space is great, and I want that for all of our projects, like, that's only one piece of it. I mean, you have to make sure that by the time the operations guys come in, that they have everything they need and that the hotel makes money and it's and it's working and that the people that are staying in that hotel or coming to that attraction get the best experience possible. And so, you know, no, it's... it's a- it's listening. It's um, it's, great. it's you know trying to understand that we're not 
we're not trying to be difficult in any way, right. but we're, we're just saying that, you know, we do have value to bring to the table. We want to be involved in the process because we do have, you know, architects and contractors and engineers, and we've been through this a lot of times, and we've got all these lessons learned from completing projects and having to operate them. So, um, you know, that's a big part of it. It's, it's a great response. Um, we kind of touched base on that in our trailer, and I'm glad you talked about listening because it's it's hard to do as a designer. You know, you're you're making this beautiful thing, like you're saying, you're making these great spaces, but you have to kind of sit back and really listen. And um, I appreciate that. That was that was awesome. And your job we, is like to make it to take that idea and make it better, right. not change it so much. You know, like you know, if someone says like this is I want X Y Z, like you say yeah, I can I can meet those qualifications and here's how I'm going to elevate it to even better and you're going to be shocked and you're going to love it, right? right. But right. instead of saying, no, that's not what you want, <laughs> right? And not that anyone's done that with any of our projects, but I think that's something that as a designer, you, you start to feel like it's your baby, it's your project, and you forget that there's some there's an end user that you're handing it off to and they have to right. it has to work for them. That's and great. that's why we're here. We're here to listen. I think this po- the whole point of this podcast is for us to learn the people who are really involved with the city and it's great to hear that you know as architects we need to engage with people we need to listen we need to sit back and take that feedback and turn it into something nice and something we can collaborate with together so actually that's going to do it with uh for this episode of the swarm um we would like to thank you mary grace for joining us um unless unless you had any other questions for us i mean I think we need a plot twist, and I need to ask a question Uh, (laughs) to you guys, because it's been a very long time of me being on the spot. (laughs) I want to know why it's called The Swarm. James? (laughs) Why are we we The Swarm? Well, honestly, it really kind of comes from Cicada, which, you know, is our architectural arm. So why are we called Cicada, Seamus? Well, Cicada... It's a great well, logo, by the way. It, there's multiple reasons much. for security. Branding's fantastic. Thank you very much. That's Minmu. Uh, <laughs> that is Kara McGuire. That is Seamus's wife. And I would look up Minmu on Instagram, Facebook, and Minmu.com. <laughs> <laughs> and Minmu.com. The push for Cicada was taking this leap of faith and really practicing architecture that we really found um, inspiring. We, we believe in New Orleans. We believe in good architecture. We believe in um, bring, bringing good architecture to the public. And then with, with that being said, for the swarm, or I'm sorry, for Cicada became the swarm. Mm-hmm. And so we figured, hey, why don't we swarm every month <laughs> like Cicadas? <laughs> like Cicadas. But I'm pretty sure Cicadas actually swarm like every 13 years or something. That's crazy. okay. I, yeah, it happens but yearly. Better but than, I mean, you are we're, we're, we're human. <laughs> we're human Cicadas. The pace has accelerated <laughs> in architecture and construction. So that's we gotta true. we got to stay up with the pace. And that's why we get to, to bring people on like Mary Grace to, to learn from them, to learn from you and to hopefully become better architects down the line. Okay. Well, I was going to ask my follow-up question. Oh, wait, there's more? Yes. <laughs> You're not getting away that easy. I wasn't Come ready on. for questions. Yeah, I, she, I know. Get, she, actually, ready. Uh, she actually told us about question one behind the scenes, so I was ready for that one, but I'm a little nervous. No, now. this one's like we're getting down. Like This is going to be a little serious. It's going to oh, be a little emotional, what? I hope. Like I'm really excited about it. Okay. At the end of this 
podcast series. Okay. Let's say you have what, like ten people. So we have twelve. We have twelve confirmed this year. Okay. Um, it could go as fast as once a month, or even mm-hmm. maybe faster than that, depending okay. on how fast we can pump these things out. So let's say after a year, like, what do you hope to really learn or get out of this at the end of it? Like when you're, you know, this is your first one. So by the end, like, where do you hope to be? I think even just in this first episode with you telling us your experiences. We've already learned a lot and hopefully we learn how to engage people, how to read people and how to figure out how we can become better designers. I- For me, it's it's both of those things. I think it's ultimately, you know, educating my peers who aren't in architecture. You know, look, we come across a lot of people every day and they're like, oh, you're an architect. You're so awesome. I'm like, <laughs> you're really good at math. Yeah, we're I'm really terrible at math, I get that a lot. Yes, we're really I don't gra- do any math ever, no math. you guys. We're like, really, we calculators. We're really <laughs> great in movies. You know what I mean? Like, we have the most buzzword. That's probably one thing you miss is being in, on the development <laughs> side. But you have the most buzzword. <laughs> you have the most buzzword, like, um, um, profession like, in, ooh, I'm an architect. in the world. <laughs> but really. a lot of people don't know what but, we do. But look, no one really knows what they do and 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 I feel like you don't understand what a project is until there's a sign or a rendering in front of the building and for me the beauty is to kind of give people an insider's understanding of what is going on in the city you know so that's my big take you know uh, we all have big families or small families um, and and it's really just educating them and our peers to where where we're going you know? and a lot of the things we're doing with the firm, with the podcast, we're going into it a little blind, a little ignorant. Um, so I think it's speak, exciting. We're speak just speak for yourself. Seamus <laughs> <laughs> is uh, Seamus is famous, by the way. Seamus has been on TV. He's been through the hoops. Check He's, out House Hunters, you guys. <laughs> side note: I have been on House Hunters. We can talk about that later. But I, I think we're, we're just trying to engage in any way possible, um, hopefully to be just, you know, better businessmen and businesswomen and, uh, and better people. I think that's just the overall goal is to just kind of grow as a person, take these leaps of faith and see what happens. So, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close it up. Um, Mary Grace, I appreciate your time again. Well, thank you um, for having me. We couldn't have done any of this without the support. Brought to us by Brew Carre. A uh, Brew Carre is a local micro pub located in the unique Marini from PJ's Coffee, located on the corner of Jackson and Magazine, directly adjacent to our office. And finally, we would like to thank Kyle Ortega for our music. Without him, we would not sound nearly as legit as we do. Stay tuned for our next episodes. We have other major players in the design community coming up. Um, that is architects, designers, and other creatives. Um, and lastly, we'd like to thank Mary Grace again for taking the, the dive. We know this is a big one for you. And everybody, and for, us. We, and for us, we will see you next time. Thanks. <laughs>